Hello, and welcome to Native Awakenings. Today we have a lovely surprise. Julia came onto the podcast. Julia is a dear friend of mine, and their astrology has really helped me establish a great conversation with aspects of myself that were previously in shadow. As they are not only an astrologer, they're also a writer, an actor, a teacher. Today we get to explore all of these multifaceted qualities of Julia. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Thank you for listening. This is Julia. Matter is mother. So you had a show recently that I was so lucky to get tickets to. I got to see (laughs) you recently, and I've been dying to ask you all about this show. First, how does it feel to be a part of so many aspects of a film, of a play coming together? Because I've done some acting in my life. Mm -hmm. I've written some short stories, nothing like a playwright. Mm -hmm. But how does it feel to actually have this work that you wrote this correct Mm -hmm, yeah like wow so you wrote it you acted it out how does it feel to come at it from those two aspects I feel like it's very natural for me to wear many hats and to come at things from multiple angles yeah so this play that I created is called matter is mother and like you said, I acted yeah. eight different characters. Whoa. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different people inside of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Eight. Uh, yeah, yeah. Eight different, seven different wigs. It's hard to do in an hour and Whoa. 15 minutes, you know? Yeah. Your <laughs> transitions were so smooth with it, too. Mm. Like, one, on one moment, you had one face on the next, you had another. Totally. Eight different. Does the number eight speak to you in any symbolic way or? Well, I believe my life path number is an eight. Oh. But I also think about eight as infinite energy flowing. I think of it as like a very powerful number. When I think about astrology and eight, I think about the eighth house, which is the house of shadows, intimacy, transformation, death, taboos. And I was just thinking before we started this, yeah. how... I was expressing that I'm a pretty intense person and (laughs) like we're already diving straight into that eighth house theme, which is where my Venus is. So to me, I'm like, oh, I love, I love the depth. I love the underworld. I love the murky places that I haven't yet seen, like that feeling of excitement of finding my own mystery. Yeah. And I feel like to relate it to the show, you know, the show takes us from the beach, sitting on the beach. Actually, when I first created this piece, the initial energy of it lived in this idea I have had of wanting to capture the feeling of laying on a beach and receiving the rays of sun. And literally, I just started with that image. Okay. And I was like, what does that feel like in my body? Right. So then you're asking about like, okay, I'm a writer, I'm a creator. And to me, those two aspects of myself are very interwoven. So as I'm sitting there, this is four years ago, feeling like, hmm, how does it feel to be in the therapy of the sun, receiving in that masculine energy, that solar power? And then I start to think about my own relationship to the masculine, my own relationship to like 
the way that I externalize things. And then that takes me to the next place where I'm suddenly like, if I'm at the beach in this vision, this vision that I'm having as I'm building this show, then what is the water to me? And what is the land? And what are all these things around me? And I start to build this relationship to the, the water and the land and all of the characters that I create as the feminine. So matter oh. is mother, is the feminine. So all things that take form on this planet being the energy of the goddess, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and then we think about like, as you go through this show, which is, we'll get to it, but it's captured on live stream. It's a theater show that I created for the first time because of the pandemic. I decided to put it in video form, which is really challenging as an artist and really interesting, really a cool experience for me. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that I would have ever captured a theatrical piece like this in this high of quality and I wouldn't have archived it like this, you know, because typically for me, theater is about the present moment. It's about being in the energy with your audience in that very moment. Yeah. And what's wild about this is that that moment is captured in perpetuity on film. Ah. And so... To me, it does two things, right? It like, it casts that spell over and over again every time someone watches it. This film is a suggestion of what the live experience will be like when we can oh, be together again. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My hope and my wish is people watch this and are like, I want to hire Julia to come to my town and perform this and talk about these themes, which wow. takes me back to the water and the depth. Yeah that this show takes me to, and I, I hope takes other people to, which is the bottom of the ocean, wow. like the bottom of our psyches, those, those murky, mysterious places in us that this show hopes to unearth. And yeah, this, this quest towards being in union with our feelings and allowing ourselves to feel everything as it is. And I think, Part of the hypothesis of this piece is if we were to feel everything, if we were to really be in reverence to matter as the feminine, as the goddess, would we A, consume as much? And would we B, would the systems of injustice and the systems of inequality that are built on a lot of numbness and trauma, yeah. would they exist yeah. if we actually let that the tides of our feelings wash us clean, wash us away, not clean in a puritanical sense, but like mm -hmm. wash over us if we felt all of it. Uh, could they be sustained? And my my hypothesis is no. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. You you went you're correct. You went deep very quickly. <laughs> wow, you you said so many things I want to touch on. So this was birthed during an exploratory moment that you were in of trying to feel like what it was to be in the sun, mm. you know, you're, the sun is washing over you, having that masculine energy, but also tuning into the feminine, the water mm -hmm. and the matter, the earth that you are on. Mm -hmm. So this one cosmic moment of balance kind of spurned this idea for this show, mm -hmm. which led you deeper into yourself mm -hmm. to see how emotions aren't felt. I want to touch on that. Mm -hmm. So... Can you explain that more? Because I do feel the same within myself sometimes. Mm -hmm. I will push stuff down. I will, I'll feel that later. Yeah. Now it's not an appropriate time to feel this way. Totally. So your hypothesis of pushing these feelings away, How? what's a way that you would recommend someone to feel their feelings? What is that? 
look like? What does that feel like to you? Because I felt a lot when I watched your show. <laughs> Good. A lot. <laughs> I did my job. <laughs> you did. So, what? but what does that mean to you? That's a great question. I say in the show, there's no wrong way to feel your feelings and your feelings are never wrong. So first and foremost, using that as an affirmation and a template to accept, am I willing to accept reality as it is in this moment? And therefore, am I willing to accept that how I feel may be illogical, may not make any sense in, and I'm putting air quotes around that because why do we expect our feelings to make sense? (laughs) Right? Like they're, they're feelings They're and, and they're for feeling they're not for fixing or analyzing or controlling or manipulating or they're just for feeling. And I say all of this and I write this piece because this is my medicine. This is what I need. This is what I have needed. And so I share with you, just like every other human being on this planet, Uh, this capacity to shove things away, Mm -hmm. both because we're human beings who have nervous systems that tell us that like, it would be too scary to feel that in my work, both as a healer and a space holder and, and an artist, I want to be acutely aware of the fact that trauma and pain manifests different ways in different people's bodies and that it takes time to work through. Right. So something that I think about is when pain is arising, when a big feeling is arising, oftentimes I think we're conditioned mentally to to look at it and be like, God, why is this happening again? Or like, I can't believe I'm feeling this way. And I like to tell myself that when something is arising, it must mean that my body trusts me enough to feel it. Ooh, I like that. My body trusts me to feel this. That's why I'm feeling it. Yeah. Wow. It's like this gift, right? That it's this gift of this sliver of my consciousness that is returning again and again because it's looking for love, acceptance, compassion, integration, whatever it is for your own particular path, but that it's here. And so instead of it being like, oh, here I am again, like, (laughs) what are you doing here? Get back where you belong. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) we're trying to give a speech. (laughs) And like, of course, there are are some quote unquote appropriate things that socially we all sort of agree upon, right? Yeah. But wouldn't it be a freaking beautiful world if we showed up to spaces and and were just so honest about how things actually were? Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, wow, I feel a little bit anxious today or insecure here, but I also feel like really grateful about this. You know, yeah. if the wholeness of our being was something that was not scary to us and fear to me is an indication that there's something we really care about there. So I like working with fear. Oh, (laughs) whoa. Did you have to overcome any fears with being filmed? Having, like you mentioned before, that this (laughs) is theater and it's normally once and then you're done, but this is recorded forever. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, let's really get into it. (laughs) But I felt a lot of fear right before we filmed because I am a person who thrives off of an audience. The energy of theater is so amazing and magical to me. We create this unique space that's this experience is only going to happen in this time and space, right? Between these specific people who are here and we're casting this spell together. And before a show, I'm preparing, grounding, meditating, calling in all the elements, really creating the energetic container for the audience to come into. And then I become the channel. 
I've memorized the lines. I've yeah. written the words, first of all, I've then yeah. memorized the lines. <laughs> and it's, it's to this point of embodiment where I can just live as, as these people. And the most fun part for me is to play with the energy of what I'm receiving from the audience. And so I was terrified, oh. terrified <laughs> that without an audience, I would not receive the information of how to embody these these creatures these people and i was really pleasantly surprised to find that my love and adoration of performance as a medium yeah came alive regardless of my audience and what i'm in now because we're at, at the time of us recording this i'm yeah. a week after performing this live stream so right now i'm feeling like Oh, yesterday I had a, or two days ago, I had this very heavy, hard day of feeling like, oh, where, where's my audience? A lot of insecurity crept in, which is part of the themes of this show are like, can we sit with that? Can I sit with the disappointment that I didn't get to have a cast party, you know, oh, and I didn't get all yeah. your shining faces like physically <laughs> hugging me? Can I sit with the insecurities that that version is captured forever in all of its perfections and imperfections? Can I just be with all that? And that to me is some of the, again, the medicine of this show and the medicine of Sona, who's the sea monster that invokes us into this question of, can you face your feelings? When you ask me about fear, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of fears. There's fears of, is this show gonna live anywhere? Will anyone ever ask me to do it again? And I think there's a lot of aliveness in the fear because the fear tells me, I care. Oh. I care. I want this show to live on. And if it doesn't, then I feel like for my creations, like I'm just a mom. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I just, they birth, they come through me. They're not, they don't belong to me. They belong to spirit. Yeah. I like gave them a home for a while in my body. I birthed them. And yeah. now I'm like, I don't get to control you. I'm just a mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Hearing how you view and are living with that energy of letting your show grow and be its own kind of entity at this point and live in the hearts of those that I've seen it. Do you think that you're going to still make it available for people who want to? Because I saw that you extended it, which made me really happy. Yeah. After the 48 hours, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, I don't know why originally I was like, 48 hours, that's great. Uh -huh. Give it a little scarcity. So people, and then I was like, wait a second. Yeah. I believe in this piece and I want people to have access to it. So yes, the answer is yes, you can still get it. You can still view it. And and I'm actually going to be working on a little teaser for it. Ooh. Almost like it's a movie, you know, Whoa. just like a little trailer to hopefully pitch to theaters. Because my dream with this piece, and I know we haven't actually touched on it in this space yet, but yeah. the fact that tons of the themes of the show are around consumerism and our relationship to plastic and the ocean. So my dream for this piece is that I would be able to travel around to different communities hopefully in a sustainable way. That would mean I probably wouldn't fly, you know, yeah. maybe take a train, maybe maybe take a car, thinking about the most sustainable ways so I can have the least amount of impact on the earth, but traveling to communities and staying put for like a month or two at a time to present this show and work with the communities, work with the local youth, wow. climate activists and climate justice folks, mm -hmm. environmental justice, people who are on the front lines, advocating for their community's health and well-being and the land's health and well-being yeah. and doing collaborative artistic healing 
processes with these people, getting to know them, building relationships, you know, it's not the simple, it's not just about the matter, right? It's not just about the objects. It's not just about the plastic. It's about our spiritual and emotional evolution is a part of activism and it is how we heal this planet. So it's both to me, you know, it's the weaving of both. Yes, we have to take action and not buy as many single use items and put pressure on corporations and align ourselves with a more anti-capitalist way of being. And we also need to heal our ancestral and intergenerational trauma and hold yeah. space for marginalized people and allow ourselves to be in our bodies and yeah. heal our relationship to our bodies, right? So it's yeah. it's this yes and that I think with a little bit of time with each community, I would learn so much from them and be able to just offer what I feel I do best, which is be this playful, creative I want to say the word jester. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't necessarily think of myself as a joker, but I think there's this element of play that that a play yeah. asks of us, yeah. right? Like Whoa. we get to play, we get to have fun as we're exploring these these deep themes, these darker themes of our humanity and our planet's transformation. Yeah, yeah. it is transforming. I like, I want to follow so many breadcrumbs of what you've led. Sorry. I was like, oh, so, oh, where do I begin? We have danced around this play and I didn't know if you'd be open to diving into it because I didn't want to spoil it for those that haven't seen it. Mm. But could you give a description of, you've we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but I'd like to talk about it more. We began with how it came to be, you know, mm -hmm. feeling the sun on your skin, feeling matter that is mother, mm -hmm. the water, the emotions, allowing yourself it's okay to feel the way that you do. Can you talk about the show? Sure, like the actual... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The plot, the play, sure. Uh, Matter's Mother is, a, if you haven't guessed already, a one-woman, one-person show that takes place at a cheesy, all-inclusive resort called Paradise on an island. We open the show with the myth of Sona, who is this sea creature who is the mother of all creatures of the, of the ocean and gave birth to all of us and originally taught us how to feel. So how to sit with things that were hard, how to face things that were sad, and how to move through them. And her promise, Sona's promise is, if you can face your feelings, I will help you transform them and move them like water through your body so that you can reach the next destination of your being, the next present moment. Yeah. Because that is the the thing with feelings, right? Is if we feel them, they move and we feel something else soon. Yeah. <laughs> Versus that fear that comes up when I'm like, oh, there's grief. I can't feel this. I can't feel this. And then so much of our energy is resisting and it actually takes a lot more effort to resist than it does to surrender. And I'm not saying that it's not hard to surrender or that it can't, that it's not scary, but that ease of just letting that grief arise and then fall because it will fall. It will move on. So Sona is this creature that, you know, this is her original message as I channeled it, as, as it was given to me, really. Wow through my relationship to my own guides and through ask, continuing to ask, what is it that I need to work on? What is it the collective needs right now? Yeah. And receiving this information about this sea creature that yeah. is here to help us feel. And then she turns into a sea monster because the humans in the story forget how to feel. They grow legs and arms, they come onto land and they start to put their feelings into objects and into possessions, and into each other's bodies, and into businesses, and into anywhere except for between them and Sona. 
And Sona, of course, is just this representation of this facet of ourselves, you know, like this yeah. god goddess form of our capacity to really just feel and be with ourselves. Yeah. And so as they start to put their feelings into objects, they throw, where do we throw those objects? We throw them in landfills, which go to the ocean. And Sona, who's always gobbled up all our feelings to help us transmute them, starts to eat the the trash and the garbage and becomes this monster, the sea monster made of garbage that scares all the people. Yeah. And so we, we come to this point throughout the play where every character in the play is, is reckoning with and in conversation with Sona as this representation of their inner feminine or their inner capacity to feel. That is what the play is about. Yeah. It's an exploration yeah. of, of feeling and the way we treat objects and the earth as a parallel to the way that we treat women, people identified as women, and any feminine essence in us. Wow. This began four years ago. Did a shift happen in your life where, because you wrote this beautiful play and such a deep play to these concepts that you're speaking about, are really profound to me. I haven't heard them expressed in this way before. Mm. I've heard a lot of bearing my own feelings and treating myself a certain way, but those actions spilling out into my environment mm. makes a lot of sense. The environment does dictate a lot of times how we feel we'll surround ourselves in misery and then we'll continue to feel miserable. If we surround ourselves in beauty, we might begin to feel more beautiful. Mm. So the environment does have a huge role to play. Did something shift in your environment four years ago for you to have this idea of, did you begin, begin to understand your feelings more or mm. has this been a, a lifelong sort of composition? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I decided to become sober six and a half years ago. Mm. And for me, sobriety was a very spiritually guided choice mm -hmm. to have access to the depths of me. Something that I'm always surprised about myself is that I am very sensitive, which uh -huh. might not be a surprise to the people around me, but it's like throughout my life, I've built this narrative that I'm numb or that I can handle a lot because I don't feel a lot. I was raised a ballerina. I have always been an artist through and through. Yeah, And I think that a lot of my discipline and a lot of my life force went into perfecting these forms that didn't ask me. I, there wasn't room mm -hmm. in the ballet world to ask, how do I feel about this? Do I want to do this? Am I ready to perform today? What's actually going on for me, right? Because what, what I was taught was you show up no matter what, you look the part, which is a lot of what we're teaching people in society in general, yeah. whether it's ballet or another you know, medium. It's like you show up, you don't ask questions, you don't bitch, yeah. you don't say how you really feel, you button it up, and you're perfect. And if you don't fit the perfect like body type or whatever, too bad, you're not gonna make the cut. So then it turns into self-punishment and rigidity and discipline. And then that's all wrapped up within the beauty of why you're doing this thing because you love it because you love to dance. Yeah. And so for me, I mean, that, that takes us like pretty far back into my childhood. But uh -huh. for me, I think when I look to ballet, it's like, oh gosh, what a cool structure that gave me so much, gave me so much focus and took from me my permission to be in the present moment as I was. And so building up on that theme, for me, my addiction and my my relationship to substance became just an exaggeration of that, of, okay, I can keep it all together 
and don't actually have to be honest with myself about how I'm feeling. When we do that to ourselves over time, what I feel builds is a sense of numbness and a sense of disassociation from what's actually happening. Uh. And so that's what happened for me. When I turned 26, I had this very strong, profound spiritual awakening that Ooh. was like, let's go. <laughs> it's time to get sober. I was feeling energy in my body unlike I'd ever felt. I started doing Kundalini. I started receiving messages from the planets. Whoa. I started receiving messages from guides. It was just like all of a sudden I, I woke up and I was more sensitive than I'd ever been. And I had more feelings than I knew how to Whoa. deal with. And I was like, oh, wow, holy moly, uh -huh. I'm human. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm human. And I think since that point, has been, you know, the last six and a half years have been a thawing process, like an iceberg mm. that is thawing and, and loosening and becoming more comfortable and becoming more awake and alive. And so this show has been, you know, to me, this show is a group of humans who are just beginning the process of looking. And so that mirrored my process. And I'm not there now. I've, I'm, I'm actively down at the depths of the ocean, like yeah. checking things out, you know, yeah. feeling on the daily. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, does, does that answer your question? It does. Yeah. Wow. That allows me to view you in a whole new light, seeing that these characters were parts of you on your journey of mm -hmm. your own awakening to feeling and, hey, I'm a human. Mm -hmm. If these characters kind of resemble this journey into sobriety, congratulations, by the way. Thank That's you. incredible. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So this journey and you're now achieved sobriety. What really stood out to me was Sona then, because I know these characters and I, I can kind of, at least in my mind, think of and see them within myself. Mm -hmm. But Sona seems to be a really powerful character. Mm -hmm. Who does Sona represent within your own sort of journey? What's your relationship to that character? Sona feels like the divine compassionate mother. She feels very Kali-esque. Oh. And I work with Kali a lot in my oh. spiritual practice. It just feels like this force of destruction that is moving with the utmost compassion and kindness, mm. right? That it's eating and pulling apart anything that isn't true and alive in that moment. So Sona to me feels like, you know, this, my relationship to the feminine, my relationship to women as a woman mm -hmm. growing up in the United States in the 90s is like conflicted, you know, I, it's taken me a long time to love my womanhood, to embrace it, to be excited to be in a female body, to treat other women with respect. You know, everything that's modeled for us is through a patriarchal lens. It's through the yeah. male gaze and the male lens, especially as a performer, where I was praised for everything I could give in my body. And people were always like, wow, Julia, you're a cool dancer. You, you're a great actress, all these things. Yeah. But to be inside feeling that, has been a long journey to actually be the one inside being like, oh, I can feel me, uh, you know? And yeah. so, I mean, this is the journey of the show, as you'll see, and I don't want to give too much away for the people that <laughs> want to still watch it. But, yeah. but Sona really is a guide for me. She's like a deity that, that has come to me. And anytime I had questions during the creation process or anytime I have questions now about like, 
what do I do with this grief? What do I do with this big feeling? What do I do with this insecurity? Yeah. I call on her. And there's actually like an incantation, a ritual in the show that I sing over and over. The like, Sona, look me in the eye, show me, show me all the hurt that keeps you from me. And I feel like that part of it is like, show me what's standing in between me and you, this me and Sona, and Sona as this representation of my own inner divine feminine, my own divine mother that can hold anything. So what is the pain that I feel is too large, that is unfathomably big and standing in the way of me just accepting myself in this moment? And can I surrender that to her, which yeah. is really me? Can I, can I let myself trust that the universe, nature, my body, everything is designed by an intelligence to hold me through this moment? Can I trust that? Oh, <laughs> that's incredible. That's amazing. I've never heard of someone do that in a way like find a guide in a way that's co-created and hearing you do that and finding the best way to communicate through source through sona through you through allowing yourself showing yourself how you do feel so you can feel it Mm. is so cool Mm. like wow (laughs) i feel like the more personal we can make our connection to source the better and oftentimes these archetypes that have been passed down from the generations Mm -hmm. have become outdated or simply we don't resonate with that culture totally so to see you establish a new connection Mm -hmm. in that way is so powerful and i bet healing for you so wow yeah (laughs) it makes me think about really giving yourself and giving people permission to have a really unique and personal relationship to source and use your creativity. The universe is infinite. Yeah. Literally it's creative energy. So you get to make up whatever the heck you want. And that's something that's really fun for me about in 12 step programs. They talk about like, you don't have to believe in God. You could believe in a doorknob. You could believe in the collective power of the community. And to me, what that speaks to is it's in everything. So you get to decide what form it takes. And there's no right or wrong answer to what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And that actually makes me think about like how excited I am someday in my life, whether it's soon or, you know, over the course of my existence here to teach people how to use solo performance and artistic creation as a form of personal healing. I feel like that's kind of what's on the horizon for me because this was such a healing journey for me to create this piece. And art is so transformative and cathartic. I think I became an actor because I had so many feelings inside and I had been telling myself that there's only certain places I was allowed to feel those, right? Uh, But when you're on stage, baby, (laughs) you have full permission (laughs) to scream, to cry, to rage, to laugh. You can be as big as you want. Mm -hmm. And so permission Can we take that permission that we get on stage in this container where there's a consent between us and the audience of saying, I'm going to take you on a journey. And how can we let that inform our own lives too? Of like, I give myself consent and permission to explore the full embodiment of my humanity, which includes the highs and lows of feeling. Yeah, I need to meditate on that. I'm going (laughs) to repeat that to myself. Wow, that is, that's very powerful. And thank you for sharing and showing that. 
within yourself. It can be very vulnerable to show your own sort of emotional journey through Mm, that. mm -hmm. And I could totally see how it could be healing for youth, for adults, for anyone to do this sort of process that you've done. I'm a huge fan of internal family systems. And yeah, yeah, within Mm -hmm. that modality, they believe that there are aspects, mothers, fathers, daughters, sons within us. And speaking to those, addressing them and acting them out within our own body is a a technique that they use to help resolve and mend and heal. Mm. So this seems like it's taking it a step even further of not only speaking to yourself as if you are your mother or father, Mm -hmm. but acting it out and actually maybe even filming it too to see that character actually embodying it fully dressing up like them and Mm -hmm. and resolving that wow yeah and well for me like i think because i come from such a theatrical family that's always creating characters for me the process of making this piece wasn't so intentional of like I'm going to talk to my inner boy. I don't think that that's my inner boy. <laughs> you know, the... Yeah. But what you're saying is such a cool way of thinking about making. It reminds me of my astrology readings, which mm. the way that I relate to the planets are as facets of our psyche. My favorite part about astrology is not necessarily that those planets exist, but that they're talking to one another that they're in relationship to one another, right? So that energetically, we are this gorgeous instrument strung up in in these very unique ways. And that based on the transits, based on the moment, we're going to be strummed in a very particular way that's going to activate something in us. And then we can look at the string that's pulled the tightest and be like, what the heck is that? And start to talk to, let's say Mars is squaring your sun. Yeah. And we can start to say, okay, well, your sun's over here and it feels this way. So we build the archetype of the sun, just like we're talking about here. We build this character, this version of us that has these wants and needs, wants to express its chi in a certain way. And then we talk about, well, what does Mars want and need? Mm -hmm. So that there's no part of us that is that we need to fix or destroy. There's no part of us that doesn't belong. It's just that there's conflict. There's disagreements and there's tension in different parts of our being that is really what i'm getting at when i'm reading a chart and so everything we're talking about reminds me of like oh yes this like grandmaster plan i have of like integrating astrology with art because we each have a you know the way i think about and see astrology is we have a unique blueprint we have a map that it was given to us by source to help us understand all those tricky little places that we need help negotiating. We need a little ease and love and compassion and negotiating between these parts of ourselves. Yeah. That is where my astrology comes alive. Whoa. Yeah. Well, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, you're this channel i want to get into so many things well first i hear about your artistry and uh, you're a post ballerina (laughs) your sobriety journey wow and how originally i knew of you and heard of you is your incredible astrology readings Mm -hmm. you're blowing my mind with just i never thought of planets talking to each other before i thought of them as static Mm. entities that i could communicate with i do a little bit of research into the planets but i never thought of them interacting with one another. Yes. And that's really cool. I do some word associations and you mentioned one already that I want to dive more into channel. Mm. What does that word mean to you? What do you feel like when you hear it? Does it have a color? 
Channel feels like a doorway. Channel feels like a doorway to infinite information, potentiality, like opening ourselves to the divine intelligence that is available to us. Mm. We can be channeling just source, which feels like a very pure, excellent version of our own energy. Yeah. Or we can be channeling entities or, you know, certain deities or goddesses or gods or beings. And just as we can channel that, we can channel the planets. And so the more intentionally and magically I work with planets, it's just I love thinking about how spiritually I am building a relationship with source. Just as I'm building a relationship with you by being like, Greg and I are going to hang out. Yeah. We're going to get to know each other. We don't know each other that well yet. So yeah. what are we going to do today? You know, yeah. I think about that in my relationship to source or the planets where I'm like, we have to build a relationship of trust. I need to get to know you. I need to show up for you. You are going to give me information based on what I do with that information. The way I integrate it, the way I act on it is going to forge this relationship of trust between us. Yeah. Yeah, I think about that a lot when I'm working with the planet. So yeah, channel to me is the invitation to form a intelligent relationship with other divine information. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. The doorway to that information, forming a relationship with it. Wow. I like your definition of channel. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. <laughs> We also spoke on fear and how you dive first, head first into fear. Sometimes what fear prevents me from doing and why I'm afraid to do something is pain. And where the two aren't related, I want your kind of association when you hear the word pain. Do you often feel that in a certain area? Does that have a color, a flavor to you? Or when you hear the word pain, how do you associate that? Mm. I think of pain as two things come to mind. The first is contraction. Mm. And contraction to me is a very, very natural experience on this planet. You think about like a sea anemone who's chilling out on the side of a rock and it is open and its tentacles are swaying in the water and the sun. And then a person comes up and it pokes it and it goes oh. and it contracts mm -hmm. and it crunches and it closes. And so there's fear and there's, well, I don't know if it's feeling pain. I know it's feeling fear. But to me, what follows often is a perpetual state of contraction feels like pain to me. Actually, physically in our bodies, when we are experiencing trauma, we tend to curl. So our psoas muscles tighten and we close up around our human belly this animal belly of ours that's very sensitive and where all of our like sensitive organs are, right? So we tend to close up in on ourselves and create this contraction, which can cause trauma to stay in the body for longer than after the experience has happened. So I think about pain as like, I think about it as a very natural occurrence on this planet. It's a part of being here. And I wonder, now I'm just, this is just kind of spit on. Yeah. <laughs> as is all of life. <laughs> I would like to have a relationship to pain that is like, could I experience my pain without contracting? Could I experience it as this, I'm open to you being here. You have something to teach me. I'm surrendering to this pain. Because the second thing that pops into mind when I think about pain is potential. That there's 
these places of woundedness in us, these places of fear and hurt and pain are infinitely rich with wisdom, both about what's true for us, the ways we want to be treated, what, what our needs are, what our boundaries are. There is so much depth and wisdom within our pain that it can be a really profound teacher if we don't continually contract around it. And, and that's just kind of a curiosity of mine as I'm exploring being a human yeah. who has pain <laughs> is like, huh, if I'm always contracting to protect myself from this, does it ever get to be the teacher? Mm. And when it's the teacher, it leads me to such extraordinary places within myself. And it's, co it's always co-creating with source. You know, source is always leading me towards the places that I'm like, you really, you want, like, that feels a little scary. <laughs> yeah. You want me to go there? And yeah. I'm sure that pain is going to follow. But the thing is, pain follows regardless of whether or not I'm going to the depths of that intensity. You know, like pain yeah. is inevitable here. I think suffering mm -hmm. is different than pain. I totally, totally agree. Yeah. It reminds me of a lot of the Buddhist philosophy of your know, suffering is optional. There is a, a path that leads us away, the Four Noble Truths, mm -hmm, you know, away from mm -hmm. suffering. And hearing about you speak in pain in a really new way to me. I haven't heard of this before. Sometimes people mention, oh, it's a signal or it's this. But seeing when I continually contract in a way, I'm, I'm making like this pain is being birthed into me because I'm afraid of whatever. But it's that continual sort of fear of protection yeah. and kind of weight that you're holding. So, yeah. wow. Yeah. And I think as a culture, I would like to normalize, and this goes into this entire conversation we're having around feeling, like I would like to normalize pain as an appropriate response to life often. Some things are indescribably painful, loss, grief, death. And the other side of that is that there can be indescribable joy and yeah. faith and trust and beauty. All of those things get to exist at the same time. That pain isn't just this tunnel of hurt and woundedness and physical pain. There are nuances within it. And that to me starts to shift my binary thinking around like it's either good or bad. It's either painful or it's joyful. What if the depth at which I'm willing to explore my pain actually sets the precedent for the depth at which I have the capacity to feel my pleasure. Wow. Keeping it deep. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if I'm willing to go there and there's, a, I think there's a difference between going there in like a masochistic way or a way yeah. to like punish ourselves or it's required enormous gentleness with myself because I am a very intense human who's like, let's go there. And it, it has yeah. previously been from a place of you need to heal, you need to heal, you need to heal. This like intensity of needing to be better than I am right now. And that in and of itself is painful. Just that feeling that like how I am right now is not acceptable. And I think that that can often be there's like a vampiric quality that the wellness industry can feed off of of being like, you need to get better, you need to heal. Here's this healing modality, here's this technique, here's this pill, here's this thing. It's the same thing that like, you know, the modern industries are doing to us. It's just cloaked within the vegans and the Buddha, you know, like there's so many, it's particularly painful and harmful, I think, when our minds are attuned to looking at our lives as not good enough and looking at our foundation as something that needs fixing versus, ah, oh, okay. 
I am exactly as I am right now. I, I am acceptable as I am. And my exploration of this depth and of this healing is for the pleasure and joy and expansiveness and the experience that I'm going to have down here of source exploring itself as me. Yeah, I needed to hear that today because when I do my quote unquote healing work, a lot of my focus is on, oh, I need to get better at this. I need to fix this part of me. Mm. It's defective in some sort of way. But to hear healing done in a different way where it's let me connect to this part of me rather than fix. I'm a huge fixer. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, let me fix this. We're taught to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And seeing that programming within me, that's really, really helpful. And changing that language around pain and feeling mm. is so helpful. Like, whoa, thank you. Yeah. Oh, wow. It, it makes me think about, and I really want to pose this question to you and the world of like, how many systems are we, we take so much personal responsibility for our own healing, which is beautiful and appropriate, but how many systems are thriving off of you thinking you need fixing? If you th constantly are like, oh, that part of me, it needs to be better, think about who's trying to sell you something to make it better. Think about who is asserting power over you, whether it's a corporation or industry or just an energetic sense that you are not good enough as you are, which is that we are humans with imperfections that are perfect as we are. Like we're not going to fit into this mold of quote unquote perfect healer. We're having this collective cleansing of dogmatic, puritanical ways of thinking about humans. Yeah. I just think it's so important that so often we think we have to heal everything versus that balance of accepting and healing and also putting pressure on the external forces that are telling us otherwise. Of being like, I'm not going to be gaslit into thinking that I have to fix something about myself when I'm not the one that's broken, the system is broken. I think it's a really important distinction, especially for healers and spiritual people, to not get so far away from politics and understanding who is literally creating this world that we are being indoctrinated into socially and politically and culturally. Yes, we can make our own choices about how, who and what we want to be, but we've still been essentially brainwashed and programmed into <laughs> yeah. that, right? So, yeah. so acknowledging that those exist is a part of healing work for me. Because as we break those, that attachment to those systems internally, they start to break externally. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I want to touch more on that. You mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast where spiritual people can be politically involved mm. as well. And that there is, yes, I want to focus on aligning my chakras mm -hmm. and, and channeling great energy, but also maybe I don't want to use a single use plastic item. It reminds me of like Skorzybski, he's a philosopher who's thinking of both and, and you mentioned allowing both of those sides to flow through you. Yes. And it's called Aristotelian thinking when mm. you label something as only one use, but non-Aristotelian thinking when you have multiple different Interesting. relations to something. And that's what you're presenting here too, which I think is amazing because there's a philosophy about this. Cool. Of not just, yeah, of not just, which is just another system when you think about it. Yeah, but, but systems still, can be really helpful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I think about, I mean, in my utopia, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> I am... Um, surrounded by humans who are putting their relationship with themselves as God first, whether that's the 
theater makers I'm with. And that can mean anything to anyone. You know, it doesn't have to look religious or spiritual in the ways that I see it. But, you know, the more that we can bring our spirit and our aliveness and our spirituality and our relationship to source, to politics, to activism, to the things that we're passionate about and understand that everything is political. Everything on this planet is the act of deciding where we, what our beliefs are, what, what on what side of this issue do I stand? What do I believe to be right or true? You know, if spirituality is about connecting to our personal truth, that's essentially what politics are doing. They're just asking us, you know, to embody that and to, you know, I think they're the same thing. Like, I'm actually really confused by why activist circles don't have a more spiritual. There are many that do. I think that the integration could be really helpful for this planet and for me you know to not feel so disjointed like this disjointed thing of like oh i go over here and i'm the activist i go over here and i'm the spiritual creature you know part of my whole task is just like can i just take a giant divine paintbrush and like put it over all of it make it a little messy be myself everywhere i go you know oops yeah yeah Wow. Does that answer? I don't know. That does answer it. Be myself wherever I go. Yeah. I think that captures it. And yes, you can be this spiritual person, this political person, this actor, this channeler as mm-hmm. well, this astrologer. <laughs> like, wow. A little shapeshifter. Yeah. 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 I want to touch on shapeshift, but I, want, I have another couple of questions I want cool. to ask you. This one's a finish this sentence. Mm-hmm. And it is, I feel naked when I blank. And as far as naked, that doesn't have to mean fear. That could mean enjoyment. Whatever your word association is with nudity and naked. (laughs) And then plus, uh, how does that, when when do you feel that way? Well, surprise, surprise, naked, how I associated it was exposed and vulnerable. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, hmm, I want to answer it both ways. Ooh, do it. Okay, okay. So I feel naked and exposed and vulnerable. My original answer was when I make a mistake. And I think that plays into what we're talking about. Through so much of our culture, we are taught that there's one right answer again, or that we have to be perfect, and that answering it wrong or like, quote unquote, making a mistake is a comment on our character versus, oh, like, I get to learn from that, or I get to explore my insecurity, or, you know, love myself through that moment. And so, yeah, making mistakes and being wrong is still something that oh yeah, I, I'm working on that. I'm continually working on that and, and accepting that it's within that space that I grow a lot mm-hmm. and I, I access a lot of compassion for myself. And then thinking about nakedness as, oh, uh, a joy or a pleasure or freedom. Mm-hmm. I feel naked when I'm naked. <laughs> 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 like I want to live in a world and try and create this world where my body gets to be like I get to be an animal body as a human like I get to wear my animal body however the heck I want and be naked when I want and be free in the ways that I want I was recently watching this documentary called my octopus teacher oh, on Netflix. Yeah, have you seen yeah, it? Yeah, I've watched the trailer for it. The you should watch it. I know. I want to watch it so bad. It looks so good. It's really good. Yeah. He says something in it that I find so profound, and I'm gonna paraphrase. But he talks about how he goes back to the same 
part of the ocean day after day after day. And people are like, why would you go back to the same part of the ocean? Like, don't you get bored, whatever. And he's like, in going back to the same part of the ocean, it starts to come alive and I get to have a relationship with the wild. And that to me is such a metaphor for meditation and like sitting and coming back to the breath and which doesn't have shit to do with nakedness but yeah (laughs) but like Uh this rawness of being is coming back again and again and finding my wildness Mm -hmm. i love the idea of reconnecting with my physical wildness which to me is like ooh. if i'm really on the edge i would love to like get naked and run around a bonfire and howl at the moon and do all the like you know stereotypical witchy woman things and i want that I love how you said that you feel naked in the association of freedom when you are naked. Mm -hmm. I feel like there can be collectively a lot of body shame, a lot of fear, a lot of over-sexualization as well as just an animal body. I love the two associations that you made with that first freedom, also animal, also freedom, because this is just an animal body. And Mm -hmm. I think it's weird as a society that we do have these patriarchal norms that have established what is appropriate for a body that's free totally (laughs) it's a bit weird (laughs) it goes back to like our whole conversation about appropriate feelings it's like every feeling is appropriate to what's happening in the moment for you personally and therefore your body is always appropriate in whatever form it is all of the time you know i mean and sure there are limitations to that i think some people take advantage of that and we don't need to go there of <laughs> like people being inappropriate in public with their bodies. Yeah. But yeah, just being mindful that like this is your vessel. You I mean, part of me tattooing my body, which I didn't Ooh. do until last the what? last two years I had what? I was tattoo free, oh right? Goodness. And I and like because I was this actor, this performer who was like, I have to look a certain way. And my agents told me how I could wear my hair and, and how I could cut it. And I had to go to the people for permission to alter my body in any way. Are you serious? I'm so serious, dude. And so you can imagine that that set up this frustration with me in me of like, I don't even own this thing. I, I exist in this body, but I don't get to say, I don't get to have a say in what it looks like, how it's presented. And so when I moved, I lived in New York City for 10 years. And when I moved to Portland four years ago, I was like, okay, uh-huh. I'm going to a place where I can be around more trees than people. Nice. And I am going to cut my hair for the first time. I cut it really short. I dyed it. I did all these things with my body that I wanted to do. And then I tattooed myself. I mean, not myself. I got tattooed. <laughs> wow. Um, and in a very, very sacred ceremonial way of like marking my body as mine. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like, I get to do whatever I want. Yeah. It's your it's body. Mine. You know? Wow. I want to talk to you about so many topics. You yeah. Know? <laughs> but hearing how you symbolically even picked up tattooing as reclaiming like hey this is my body i'm gonna decorate i'm gonna celebrate it Mm -hmm. is the point of tattooing so to hear you approach it in such a reverent and respectful way Mm. to that art is so cool to hear Mm. it really is oh wow (laughs) wow i know that you have an appointment after this and i want to honor your time but i want to sneak in at least one more question and i it's something that you actually touched on it was shape-shifting So you are this crazy, like 
just from speaking with you now, I found out more about you, <laughs> like that you're an actress, you're a writer, you're a channeler. I knew about your astrology. How do you manage all of that? How do you cope with all that? If even quote unquote air quotes requires coping. I, I don't know if that's the correct word, mm. but how do you, I guess, fluidly flow with that mm. with all these different people at the end of the day do you come back and are you a person that you don't show the rest of the world and it's just mm -hmm. for you because i find that with some shapeshifters that's how they are that and i have multifaceted <laughs> question i'm gonna try to make this more linear so one how does it feel to be a shapeshifter two is there a version of you that you kind of reserve for not putting on all these masks and three three-part question so yeah. complex give it to me uh, um <laughs> Are, do all of these characters contain that that authentic Julie? Do you ever feel like you have to pretend? Mm. So I know that's a lot to work with. Take your time okay. with it. Yeah. I love this question. I think starting with the last one, mm -hmm. the pretending or like mask wearing, mm -hmm. I think that it's been a long journey to understand shape-shifting as an actual gift versus like a trauma response, right? or an adaptive quality to be like, I want to fit in, so I'll just become this kind of person when I'm in your presence, which I used to hate on myself a lot for. I'd be like, God, may, you were just doing that to please that person, or like you left your, you left your integrity. And now I see it as like, that's a huge gift. My capacity to expand very far yeah. and into someone else's energy to kind of play this certain role yeah. And now knowing it's not necessary, I don't have to ever do that. I can just be myself, but that I have the capacity. And I don't mean this in like a manipulative sense. I'm not like walking into a room and being like, who can I be to impress everybody here? Like I'm not a total jerk off. But <laughs> I do mean that like I'm, I'm riding energy when I'm in spaces, right? I'm allowing, this is part of like, I'm, a, I'm an air sign. I have so much air in my chart that like, I'm allowing the information of the moment. It's kind of what I'm doing when I'm acting too, to decide energetically which version of myself is gonna come forward. And so, to me, shape-shifting is, is just being alive. I am multifaceted. I, I'm not a simple person. Yeah. I, wa I want my life to be simpler, uh -huh. uh, for sure. But I have so many ideas. I have so many things I want to do. And shape-shifting and acting and creating is this way for me to just satisfy the soul craving I have to explore all of these facets of myself. Ooh. It's actually why I didn't get tattooed for a while because I wanted to be a completely clean slate so that my body could be this vessel where I could embody anything and no one would know it was me. Oh, whoa. <laughs> like character-wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now I'm like, okay, I think to kind of answer more of your question about who I am when I come back to myself is like my goal now in shape-shifting is never to leave myself, oh. is to instead invite all of those to be the channel right to invite all of that into me to become that julia doesn't have to leave julia gets to this is fun for me i get to play and so am i a different person when i'm alone not really <laughs> i i'm i'm kind of an open book i mean i'm definitely there are definitely facets of me that are like pretty private and and vulnerable and i would say that those are the the aspects of like my romantic or sexual life which just historically is a place that I need a lot of time and patience and deep trust in to really go there with someone. But 
what you see is a lot of what you get with me because I'm very vulnerably open. It's it's a part of me that I hope to bring to every person and every situation is just the permission to be honest with where we are. And so to me, shape-shifting is a quality of being able to arrive to a space and be like, I'm reading Greg's energy and I'm reading how he might need to be received in this moment or what part of me might need to come forward, uh, you know, versus yeah. like, oh, I'm going to wear a mask and be a totally different person. Like, uh, I don't think of it that way. Whoa. I love that you explain that. That sounds so cool. I mean, I've heard shape shifting more in the vein of I'm putting on this mask, but to hear I'm going to, I'm allowing this part of myself to naturally come forward and I'm still a witness to it. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds so cool and talented to be able to do that. And I can speak a tribute to you being able to do that. I remember one of the first times I met you, I was telling you about the entities that that I interact Mm. with, which I normally don't tell people about Mm. at all. (laughs) It was, I think, my second time meeting you. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. you told me about your guides. You you do read energy really well and create that container of allowing that part, that shape-shifting aspect of Greg to have the permission to come forth and show myself in that way. Mm. And that's so thank you for that. I don't know if I thanked you for that. Yeah. And thank, you, <laughs> and thank you for explaining uh, shape-shifting. That's so cool. I and, and I know that like from a native perspective, an indigenous perspective, there's like a massive world of actual shape-shifting that I've yeah. been so curious about, but mm. have never explored because I don't have like a, a guide that, could teach me so putting it out to the universe that if it ever felt like appropriate or cool for someone to want to share those teachings of what would it look like to i feel very very inspired by and close to the animal world and and i've played with my own like kind of melding of consciousness with maybe i told you that sometimes I become flowers. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> fairies, but no. Flowers? Oh yeah, well, fairies and flowers are the same thing to me. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Whoa. like the, I, I feel like the fairy energy is flower energy for me, but I've like in meditations, the flower has let me like become it. Literally, just like all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, it's I'm really green. Uh, <laughs> you know, like the world whoa. is like different from this perspective. Wow, it feels weird to have just a one long stalk of a vine instead of a body. Wow. Um, but so I know that I have those capacities in me, but um I've never tried shape shifting into any certain animal. Um or Ooh. yeah, which yeah, you know, I feel different things about like especially being like an aware person who doesn't want to like appropriate other people's cultures and certainly doesn't want to like make assumptions about whether I as a white person can like take on native or indigenous cultures and be like I want to learn how to shapeshift you teach me now (laughs) you know like that's not at all where I'm coming from um (laughs) but there is a childlike just wonder and innocence that's like I'm so I feel so drawn to this I feel so fascinated by it and I think that I would be I think my soul is like We'd be good at that. Oh, you would be. I'm Choctaw blood, but Cherokee and um, Munaki lineage. Mm. And within just my direct lineage and blood ties to Choctaw, what that culture does and what we do is we actually were very known for taking the Europeans, the quote unquote white people or the people that are not in the tribe and bringing them in. So I can't can't speak for all native Mm. people, but I know for me myself, I feel as though if a culture speaks to you, 
then that is who knows how many lifetimes you have that is speaking to you and that if you go about it the right way, I don't think that it is appropriation. Of course, mm. I can't speak for all. I can totally. just speak for mine. And I, I would be happy to, of course, if some, I hope that someone else listens to this <laughs> yeah. and is a healer of that lineage and contacts you, but I'd be happy to show you what I know. Cool. Oh, that would be so cool. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Especially within the Muneki, we have a jaguar, we have an eagle, a condor, we have a hummingbird, Ooh. we also have a panther. So we have many different animals that we shape shift into. And yeah, we'll get into that as cool. well. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So um, beautiful. Yeah. Well, I know that you have somewhere, but I like to kind of open it up at the end. Yeah. Maybe there's Sona that wants mm. to speak to you, or maybe you have someone in your heart or mind that you're thinking of right now. And oftentimes we wish that we could get advice and maybe you're not by that person now. And advice is a funny term because that wisdom is within all of us. Mm. But I just want to open the discussion to let your channel as you are a channel. Do you have anything that you really wish I would have asked you? Or is there anything that's on your soul to mm. say? I don't feel like there's anything that I wish you would have asked me. Oh, score. <laughs> <laughs> you did an amazing job. <laughs> I guess like one thing that I wanted to just round out from this whole conversation is... When I when we started and I was talking about like that that image of the sun, mm. I wanted to clarify and just like get let this be a portal of permission for people that to me that image led to something deeply mysterious and that had nothing to do with that image. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. the starting point of that creation was so far from what it became. The, to me, that is the creative process, is letting ourselves begin where we are, <clears throat> begin from the inspiration that we have, whatever is alive within us, that is the material through which we get to source and say, okay, here is my canvas, right? The feelings that are here, the, the life circumstances that I have, the image that's coming to me. And from there, it will show you. It will, it will unfold and show you what the story is, show you what's next. But it's just like life. You have to follow it step by step. And it's this mysterious unfolding of character, story, you know, creation. So that to me feels like this really magical portal that I really want to give listeners permission to explore themselves as this creative vessel and know that if you're an artist and you want to make something and you want to explore that, like, you don't have to look anywhere else but deep inside the vessel of yourself and inside your imagination and your life circumstances. You also don't have to create from your life. You can you can make something out of feelings that you have and give them to other characters. And that there's just so much permission is a word that I wrote down before we arrived Ooh. here today. And I feel like permission is the key for me. We don't need outside permission, but I often need to remind myself on the daily that like I have permission to take up space, to be myself, to create, to be weird, yeah. to be not normal, whatever the heck normal means. <laughs> and yeah, just like hoping and praying that everyone owns that permission to to allow themselves to be that present with whatever is there for them. Yeah. That is wonderful. 
I love hearing that and meditating on that because that permission that you give and seeing, hearing your process is really inspiring because to be able to watch your show and to think like, how did that come from yeah, exactly. just the sun and that, but seeing that it's so far removed, not, yeah, we're kind of removed from that now that that was a little spark. Exactly. But, the spark. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not what's going to be the full expression of it. Exactly. Is really, like you mentioned, permissive because sometimes I can think I want this one thing that I'm working on mm. to be this piece of art that I'm working on, but within working on it, it's going to look so different. Yeah. And that gives me permission to do it because from how it looks now, it's not perfect. Yeah. So, and you never, ever yeah. know what that spark is going to grow into. You have to think of it as this gift given to you by the universe, by God, as a spark of inspiration and creation then takes on a life of its own and becomes something and it reminds me of relationships it's like we have a spark between us of connection and humanity and soul connection and yeah. we have no idea what our relationship's going to look like you know if we follow the script of like well we should be friends and it should look like this we should hang out this many times you know it's like <laughs> people you don't know and that's the beauty of poly polyamory to me is like mm. that poly opens the which I, we don't have time to get into but all these good times poly opens the doorway and queerness opens the doorway to like possibility and potential and permission to just be like what is this going to be I don't know yet versus normativity gives us a script of what it's supposed to be. That is a powerful, I love the philosophy of Polly as well of allowing yourself to love others, not restricting yourself off. And also we got to speak about queerness yeah. too. Like, ah, Julia. <laughs> well, that just means I absolutely have to have you back on because there's so many, I'm going to listen to this and write down the things I wanted to ask you. And I would really love to have you back on. I would love that. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Most authentic way for me to say goodbye is like, See you soon. <laughs> we see you, Julia, soon. The spirit animating my body honors, values, appreciates, mm. respects, and unconditionally loves the spirit animating your body. Mm. Aho matakoyasam. Om Namah Shivaya. Namaste. Oh. Sweet. Wow. <laughs> oh. Harisona. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Harisona. 